All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland, and our guest is Shannon Bradley Byers. I assume I said that correctly. How are you doing this evening? I'm just great. How are you? And you did say it correctly. Oh, good, good. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, paranormal genealogist, you know, um, how do you get a title like that? I assume uh, half of it's from going to school for it, and the other half of it's from putting two things together. Well, none of it's for going to school for it. Right. Um it's, uh, you know, I, I started paranormal stuff way back in the 70s. I started genealogy stuff way back in the 80s. And in the 90s and t early 2000s, I learned how to put the two together. Mm -hmm. um, when I started investigating residential homes, um, one of my things is I don't like going in cold. I like knowing as much history about the city, um, you know, the county, the city the house the land where the house is mm -hmm. so when i would get done with an investigation when we would do the quote unquote reveal the homeowner would get a booklet that had all the documents that i had dug up on everybody that had ever lived in and around that house um if it was civil war related they got civil war records if it was you know war of 1812 they got those records they get copies of all the land deeds that I went and looked for. Um, so they, they basically got a, a little mini genealogy thing with it, along with the, whatever we had found in the investigation. That's very cool. And I, I started a blog years and years ago. Um, and one of my friends, yeah, I was looking for a name for it. And he's actually the one who named me the paranormal genealogist. Cause I couldn't come up with anything that sounded cool. Right. Well, he did you a favor. It does sound cool. Um, he did. He did. I mean, I, I am very fortunate because it, it, um, the couple that I had liked were already taken by somebody else, you know, people that were combining research and, and paranormal stuff. So, yeah, the, the genealogy aspect of it, you know, when I assume that for the most part, the internet has made that easier, but, um, it also would possibly create a situation where a lot of paperwork fell by the wayside and was kind of thrown out and, uh, you know, like transferring notes from one book to another. You get rid of the ones that you don't want. Uh, was anything lost in in that transfer? No, not that I've noticed. I mean, it's, you know, when, when I started doing actual genealogy research, computers didn't exist. So I learned to do all the, the research old school going to the courthouses, going to the libraries, going to historical societies, the the archive, national archives and places like that, and learning how to read microfilm. And um, I guess one of the things I've been blessed with is that I can read old handwriting. I, I have no problems reading, you know, all those old court documents. And that so is that a blessing. Kinda... My, my aunt will send me a birthday card and I have to have my wife read it to me because <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, yeah I have similar things yeah. um you know so that that kind of got me into working with local historical societies where I live and transcribing stuff for for them when they wanted to print books or when they wanted to digitize stuff and be able to put it online and have the transcript so your normal everyday person could read it mm -hmm. um but you know the the advent of things like you know, the, the genealogy websites and, and all the historical sites that are digitizing stuff, they don't have everything up, but, you know, it, you know, if I need something from, you know, Washington state, or I need something from Louisiana, I don't have to go there now to find the actual documents that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, you know, it, I haven't noticed that it being online is a bad thing yet. You know, it's just not everything is there. Right. Because a lot of places, you know, they don't want to put their stuff online because they want people to visit their low, you know, whatever archives or museum that they are to get people in there to see their stuff. So they won't put it up online. So some stuff is hard to find and some's not. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. Uh, I'm here in Ashland, Oregon. I haven't been here too long. I'm I'm from Redding, California, and down south. And we had the Shasta Historical Society, and it was always there and full and active. And and I assume that's the sort of place that you go to is this historical society. It's full of books about the area. Uh, yeah. 
and they want members. So, you know, their, their thing is we have all these things you can come look at if, if you pay the membership fee and the dues. And, you know, so, so I can see both sides. Um, But the things like, you know, the national archives and the state archives, especially here in Georgia, you know, they have been working on the digitation project for so many years, um, which is really helpful in this last year during COVID because they've been kind of focusing on that and they've gotten more stuff up that you may not be able to see because I live like 45 minutes from the location of where the, the national and the state archives is. They're in the same parking lot. And you know, driving down there, you know, you've got to have an appointment to get in. And it's one of these places where you can only take in a, a notebook and a phone and a pencil. You can't have an ink pen. And so all these different places do different things, hmm. you know, to to keep their records intact. And, and then you make appointments to, well, I want to see this really special book. So they take you in this room and they give you the gloves and you get to do the things that you see on the genealogy shows on TV that, that look. That's cool. That's fun. Um, but I've, I've been doing that for a really, really long time. So it's just I've, I found a way to marry it with all my paranormal stuff. So so why paranormal stuff? You know, a lot of people have the interest in the uh, in the genealogy. Uh, you know, I'm a member of 23andMe. I got my uh, I got my DNA tested, but I'm adopted, you know. But uh, why the uh, why the paranormal stuff? You know, how'd you get started there? Well, way back in the day. Um, I don't know if, if they had them out where you grew up, but we had book fairs at, in elementary school. You'd be surprised um, how many times I hear this as a reason, you know, <laughs> and, and I agree you, you get those books, you know, those, those books, like 10 haunted places around the countries and you just well, get sucked in. Is that where you're going with this? It was one very specific book. It was by Larry Kettlecamp and it was called, um, haunted houses. And it, the cover of the book had a picture of the the lady of Rhinum Hall. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the minute I saw it, I fell in love with it. And I was like, it is going to be my life's mission to take that kind of photograph. You know, now this was like 1976. So I was eight. And, you know, so that that's before the days of, you know, everybody saying everything's fake and all that stuff. So my parents... Um, when I was growing up, when we'd go on summer vacation, it was always somewhere historic. You know, we would spend a week somewhere in and around Georgia, um, you know, where I would learn something while we were there. And one of the places we always went to um, is on, called St. Simon's Island. And they had a, a battle called the Battle of the Bloody Marsh at Fort Frederica. And it's just, you know Christ Church is there and you've got all these you know Spanish moss trees over these graves from the 1700s and you know I would spend my summers with whatever camera we were using at the time um, you know real film cameras to try to get pictures of ghosts mm-hmm. and it, it it just went from there and you know it it hasn't stopped <laughs> it, it's still my thing to you know it, it's to, it's harder now to try to get photographs because cameras are not the same as they were when I was younger um, I really enjoyed the film camera aspect better because the digital cameras have proven to make their own ghosts so to speak um, so film film was a lot more fun when you get it developed and you'd have some wispy thing on the side of a, a tombstone or out on a battlefield or, or something like that. But that's how I got into it. Yeah, I always wondered that about cameras. Like, was there a difference between the analog and digital camera when it came to... Oh, there's a know, big research, difference. ...researching this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you've got to the point now where digital camera companies are putting in their instruction manuals why you're getting orbs in your your pictures um because i'm i am not an orb person at all so you know i know it's environmental or it's what you're doing with the camera or or something like that one of the funny stories that i tell is for my first book um i wanted the cover to be something that was you know a picture that was all orbs Mm -hmm. and i had a brand new uh dslr camera I couldn't get that camera to make an orb to save my life. I was out. I was, I finally had to spray water on the lens. I was shaking, you know, feather dusters in front of it and taking pictures and the camera was so good. It would not make orbs. And I ended up having to go find an old photograph from my very first digital camera back in 1999 to get an actual picture that had all the orbs that I wanted in it for the book cover. I think. Um, 
So it's yeah, cam- cameras now are are not. I, I still prefer film. I, I would rather use film over or digital any day. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that it's like I'll just start. To, my wife has me take pictures. I'm terrible at it, and she hates it. But she still has me do it. I think she does it mainly so she can talk crap about how horrible the pictures are. But um, <laughs> like, I'll take the pictures and I'll take a bunch, and she's just all, "What? Why are you taking so many animal? It's just zeros and ones, you know. Just delete it, you know. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. matter. This isn't film, you know. I'll take a hundred, and then you pick three, and but." Uh, yeah, it's I was really to... lucky to have parents that did not mind film expense. Um, I, I I cannot tell you how much film I went through. And then, you know, back then we had the cameras that had the flash bulbs on top that you take the picture and then rotate, and you had like four. You could take four with one flash bulb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where the money was was in the flash bulbs, not the film. Oh. So their thing was, you know, we're we're gonna let you do as much film as you want if it's during the day. We're not spending the money on flashbulbs. Right. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it says here that you're a, a true crime buff, you know, do you, do you find that it's difficult to separate truth crime from paranormal when researching, or do you find that there's always a crossover there or, um, or do you have to separate yourself on that? No, I don't separate myself at all. Um, I think the the obsession with true crime is what leads me to decide what I want to research, mm-hmm. whether the case interests me or not. Um, Lizzie Borden was my first. Yeah, that's where I was going to go uh, with this. Um, and uh, I have a, I'm like everybody else, I have a big interest. And I find that when we dig into it, it's at least on this mainstream level, Lizzie Borden is not as exciting as I had hoped that she was. So I'm hoping that you can give me some of this excitement you know you know when again this this is back in the 70s so it's still around the time when i was eight nine years old when i was introduced to the lizzie borden movie that elizabeth montgomery was in Mm -hmm. and i was fascinated you know that that i don't know if you've ever seen it but that one scene of her standing there pretty much naked in the the wash tub washing the blood off of her um as an eight-year-old that fascinated me that's disturbing, and, but go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, it's not, I'm a disturbing person. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so seeing that and, you know, back then it was encyclopedias and going to see if anybody had written books. It, you know, it wasn't looking up Wikipedia to see what the new theory of the week on her is. You know, it was things that had actually been written and um, it, it, it was just something that, you know, the fact that this woman could do this to her family, why, you know? And then I graduated from that to the Pearl Bryan case, um, which is one of the chapters in the book. And, you know, I, I knew that case inside and out because of all the research I'd done when I was younger. Now, that's not a name that I'm familiar with, Pearl Bryan. Okay. Pearl Bryan is the person who is associated, and I say that in, you know, Dr. Evil air quotes with Bobby Mackey's music world. She's the one that supposedly was murdered and her head was thrown down the well to hell down in the basement in Bobby Mackey's. Hmm. And the ghost shows, um, you know, of course, these were episodes that were aired about this. Hmm. And it was probably, I'm going to say eight, nine years ago that the Bobby Mackey episode aired and i'm sitting there watching it and you know and i was like everybody else you know i you know since i've been looking for stuff for so long when it finally graduated to there were tv shows about it i was really excited Mm -hmm. and didn't really see the problems with it at the time but when i saw the episode on pearl and they started attributing all this history to her and the town of wilder kentucky that was either not true, had been picked up from another town, kind of cross-contaminated facts from places. And, you know, because I knew her case so well, I was like, well, if they're doing this to her, what are they doing to other people? Right. Olivia Fisher at Old Charleston Jail, you know, the Myrtle's Plantation, you know, all these places that were big TV episodes, you know, what were they lying about there? So that that's where 
you know, I, I, I got that. And it's like, no, we're, we're going to research all these main places that appear on the TV shows and see what else they're lying about. And that's what I've spent the last nine years doing. And have you found, well, let's ask the, the big question. Have you found that they're wrong a lot? A hundred percent of the time. Oh, I well, see. let's say 99%. No, I, I get, I get where you Very go. few places um, like Velisca, the Velisca X murder house. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No. Um, that's one that they do that the, they don't misconstrue the history. Um, but most of the others, they're, they're, you know, there's always a kernel of truth. You know, it may, you know, just be a person's name and not any event. Um, but my, my thing is, you know, they're, to me, they're disrespecting the dead. They're attributing things to people that they never did. Um, like with the conjuring house, if you look at the Bathsheba Sherman case, um, you know, everything that they've attributed to her, I've proved completely incorrect. And, you know, they have maligned this woman to the point to where, you know, she can't even have a gravestone on her grave anymore because everybody is going to desecrate it and destroy it or vandalize it because of what the books and the movies have said about her. Now, this is from the Conjuring movie? Yes. So, uh, you know, I, I make this clear to a lot of people. I, I actually have always had an interest in paranormal. I'm not hugely um, versed in the uh, real world of paranormal, but I am hugely versed in horror films. So, uh, The Conjuring, uh, I definitely know. So, so I knew that this was not an accurate portrayal, but uh, you're saying this is nowhere near. No, no, nothing they said about her is true, except her name. Hmm. That, that's the only thing they got right. Um, you know, she, she was a farm woman who, you know, was raised in a town in Rhode Island, had an ordinary life, married another farmer, raised a family, you know, Baptist woman died, was buried. There, there was nothing extraordinary about her. There is nothing about her that's connected to anything nefarious. So why the connection? Why they put it together? It was just uh, easy, logistic, logistically well, easy. You see, and that's something that I don't know because the people that did it are dead now. Hmm. So we've got no way of knowing why the Warrens came up with that name. Hmm. Um, not that they would have ever admitted, you know, that they completely lied about this woman and tried to destroy her reputation. Hmm. But that, you know, that's where that name came from was Ed and Lorraine. Hmm. Right. And yeah, they have the reputation for for some reason. They have a reputation. I've I've looked into them quite a bit because I enjoyed the uh, the movies. And to me, as soon as I started reading about them, I'm just all like, as cool as this would be if it were real, this has BS written all over it, in my opinion. Well, and and it did. You know, one one of the things that. Um, and, and you'll have to forgive me because sometimes I get confused as to what was in the actual movie and what was in the books that was yeah, written. Yeah, no the, worries. The girl who grew up in the house. Yeah. You know, one of the things that the Warren supposedly pointed out was this murder um, of Prudence Arnold that was this horrible murder that took place in that house and is one of, one of the reasons it was so haunted. Prudence Arnold was murdered over the state line in Massachusetts in her own home. You know, she she wasn't in that house. She wasn't on that farm. She wasn't even, even though she had the same last name as Arnold, she wasn't associated with that family. Um, and, and it's just things like that, you know, that when I see, you know, you've got this poor girl who had her throat slit by some guy who wanted to take advantage of her and murdered her, then tried to kill himself and couldn't do it because in his words, it hurt too bad. Um, and, and then went on to be- That convicted. part's probably true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he tried to slip his throat too. And it's like, no, this hurts. I can't yeah. do this. It was so easy on her. Why is it yeah. so hard? Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's, you know, I, I hate to use the word crusade um, because that, that can take on so many connotations. But, you know, I feel I owe it to these people that have passed on and cannot stand up for themselves anymore that are being maligned. Same with Pearl Bryan. 
um, the, the things that they were saying about her and the fact that it was part of a satanic ritual, which, you know, satanic rituals didn't exist in that part of Kentucky in 1896. And Frankly, I don't think they really exist now. Well, you've got more of a, you know, uh, you know, the internet's a great place for people who are different to get together. Oh, well, yeah, um, yeah. I think that there's Anton LaVey kind of stuff, but yeah. there's never like, I don't think you know true true satanists you know which no. is a little disappointing because i mean i do this show i mean i want to find some real satanists but every time i look for them i can't find them. if i run across any i will let you know good good um, but it's you know the a very good example um and one of the things i point out in my book in the pearl bryan chapter is you know the the shows i'll say that her head was thrown down the well to hell that and there is this big hole in bobby mackey's basement um, and they also say, you know, it was a slaughterhouse. It was never a slaughterhouse. At the time Pearl Bryan was murdered, uh, it was a whiskey distillery. And what had happened is the person that owned the whiskey distillery um, made a contract with the railroad to dig three viaducts from the distillery under the railroad tracks to the Licking River to pump in water for the distillery process. So the hole that everybody keeps talking about is one of those viaducts that's left over um, from the whiskey distillery. I see. So that, that that's just kind of an, an example of you know what's real and what they say on TV. Yeah, well, how we got here was initially talking about the TV, and and it definitely prompts the question of it, are these shows and researchers the motivation is it that they are just accidentally reporting lie that was built on top of lie or is the motivation to come up with the lie themselves well and that's a good question because you know it kind of begs the answer you know they're lying on purpose because right. a lot of this stuff can be found you know it's if you know the first thing about researching which supposedly all these shows have researchers right. um, they they would know this stuff because the information's out there it's not like i dug it up from under a rock or found it in somebody's attic you know it's all court documents newspapers you know all public record hmm. so if there are research worth their salt then that's got to tell you that they either found this stuff and decided you know the story wasn't good enough or they've you know taken things that other people have said um part of part of the story with pearl bryan is somebody wrote a book in the early 2000s when um there was a caretaker there named carl and he's dead now but it, at the time he was at the place he was having some horrible things happen and everybody was convinced he was being possessed by some demonic force that was hanging out in bobby mackey's basement and a person wrote a book and started putting these things about pearl in there which you know i have proven this is the first time that these things about her were ever said because every newspaper article from 1896 up through i'd say the 1960s that talked about this case because i mean this was one of the biggest murder cases in the united states it was bigger than lizzie borden and it went overseas and you know part of it was because you know she was murdered her head was cut off and they couldn't identify her and the way they had to identify her was through her shoes uh, her shoes had serial numbers on them and that's how they finally found out who she was because she didn't live in kentucky she lived in indiana and she had no head and she was pregnant and so there were all these you know this thing was reported on like you wouldn't believe and all of the sudden, you know, she's part of a satanic ritual when it was nothing more than, you know, some guy got her pregnant and didn't want her to be pregnant and he killed her. Right. I mean, that's what it boils down to. That's what a lot of them boil down to. And see, to me, that story is far more fascinating than this made up one of the two guys that killed her did it because of a satanic thing. You know, it, the two don't even come close to being interesting to me as far as the the satanic stuff um you know so and I, I understand that you maybe don't know you know but i i can't help but to be curious as to if 
if local folklore builds these mistakes or if the researchers build these mistakes you know because it seems like a lot of that might come from local folklore you know people who don't want to don't want to admit that young billy was a rapist or or something like that uh or it's kind of like the telephone you know somebody tells somebody else a story and you know as it comes down through time you know the people change the circumstances change you know because the original person who told the story isn't around anymore to correct somebody's memory mm-hmm. you know i i don't know that i could 100 percent tell you verbatim the stories that my grandmother told me when i was six seven eight years old i can remember yeah, the gist but you know the facts have you know unless it's something that we talked about my entire life the facts have kind of gone by the wayside it's just laziness on the part of the researchers for not finding the information that's actually out there no, you know, there's always going to be stories that you can't find anything about, and and you know, the best you can do is to, you know take different versions. You know, you might find somebody who remembers one version from 1960, one that remembers one version from 1970, and kind of try to piece it together. But it, it's nothing but pure laziness on on the show's researchers for you know, or you know, it, it, it's like I always say it's entertainment it, it's para entertainment it's not real and they're going to do what they can do to get their followers and and get their ratings and and be done with it and they're not going to care you know what kind of historical fact they ruin in the process right um you know when i i'm by no means a researcher um but when i find out information i tend to file it in my head under definitely true probably true or came from a questionable source but i still find it interesting you know and then i'll be i'll be reciting them later and i'm all now i'm not sure if this is true or you know i only remember the file tab i don't remember really where it came from but in in the case of of doing this research are there levels like that like um do you like our public record one thing and if you found a journal entry another thing and if you found a note in an attic is that another level of of credibility are there are there credibility levels to to the trail that you find when when i'm doing the actual research i mean it it kind of depends on where i got the idea that i wanted to look into this to Hmm. start with if it's something in a journal that I found that somebody had mentioned, then, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is, you know, I, whatever the fact is, I'm going to see if it's an actual fact. Um, you know, whether well, what that's defines a, it as a fact? Being well, a public record? Public record, yeah. Whether it's okay. a newspaper or court document, vital records, you know, if, if there's something that can improve this fact. Um, even if it's just, okay, I'm going to go look at the census records for this area and see if this person actually lived here at right. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tend to go down a rabbit hole. Um, you know, I'll find another fact in whatever I'm looking at that sends me in 12 other different directions. But it's, you know, personal written information as far as journals, letters, things like that, to me, are always going to be more valuable to me than actual public record because public record can be wrong right you can take death certificates or as a very good example um one of the things i did when i was researching waverly hills to prove that sixty thousand people did not die there was i went through every death certificate um for the time that waverly was open because when when you make a death certificate you have to put where the person died so I went and picked out all the ones in, in that part of uh, Kentucky for that time period, pulled out every one that had listed for every person. But when you look at a, a death certificate, there's a part on there, I don't know if you've ever actually paid attention to one or seen one, but there's a, a part where an informant gives information. And that information usually includes uh, the parents' names of the person who died where those parents were born um that that kind of thing and those can be wrong because the information is only as good as the informant so you can have all this other information on the death certificate that's correct but the person's mother it says you know they were born in georgia well they were really born in ireland you know uh, because the informant didn't know 
census records are the same thing. Since census records started in the 1790s, you know, if you weren't home when the census taker came by, they asked your neighbors about you, what your name was, what were your kids' names, how old were your kids? You know, do you know how old, you know, when your, your neighbor's kids were born? You know, do oh. you know the full names? Do you know? But they're asking, you know, neighbors for right. this information so they don't have to come back. So it's not uncommon to follow one person through the census records and find out that they're, you know, okay, you, you do a census, say, in 1850, and they're 30 years old. Well, in 1860, you would think they would be 40 years old because it's 10 years later. Well, it's actually got their age as five years younger than they were on the previous census 10 years before because the informant didn't know the information. That makes sense. So, long story short, I am always going to value handwritten things from the people that were actually involved over public record. Public record is always going to be at the bottom. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, my dad had um, two birth certificates. Basically, he was uh, he was adopted also, and mm -hmm. um, they they messed it up somehow. And his birth certificate actually said he was three months younger than he actually was. Right, right. And uh, and so he always joked about having two birthdays because he yeah. ended up over time having two sets of paperwork. You know. Yeah, I mean, because even you know, even public you know, employees do make mistakes when they type that stuff up. And and depending on what time period you're looking at, if it's handwritten, sometimes it's misread. When you got to the fact, you know, the point in time when you had typewriters and computers, you know, you've got data entry errors. So, you know, I, I always say take your public records with a grain of salt mm -hmm. because it, some of that stuff could be wrong. What's your take on psychics? These shows always take a psychic in and they always put a lot into it. And it seems like they're sort of, leaning on the psychic to add some drama to the show and i talked to some paranormal researchers that you know uh put a lot of put a lot into the psychic and then others that uh just don't want them there because they feel that they get in the way of the deal what's your take on the psychic with this paranormal <laughs> investigation i i totally believe in the gift of mediumship mm -hmm. um a hundred percent now, as far as having one on an actual investigation, I don't tend to want to do that. I tend, I, I would rather go and do my thing and then possibly have the person come in and do their thing, you know, kind of like dead files, you know, you, you, the way that they do that. Amy does one thing and Steve does another. And at the end, they meet and see if they're information coincides to oh, me that's that, a good idea i haven't seen that show but that's a good idea yeah yeah he's he's a you know retired police detective and he does all the historical research and talks to the family and gets the stories and she's the the medium that goes in and and does you know sees whatever dead people she sees mm -hmm. and and they see if his facts back up what she found and to me that's the way to do it i, I wouldn't necessarily want one with me um, because I think that would color whatever I was doing in the investigation. Right, right. You know, I, I interview quite a bit of people who, who uh, research UFOs and <clears throat> stuff like that, and there seems to be a big riff there between people who are sort of like spiritually investigating UFOs and then these nuts and bolts researchers, which it kind of feels like you are. The right. ones that are all about chasing down the paperwork and following the paper trail from the government and and so on and so forth and they tend to butt heads a little bit but i like the way you're talking about it is is to separate it and then put it together after the fact and see if there's any to me that's the most logical like you know there's there's no reason not to have both sides mm -hmm. it's just you know the appropriate place and time for those sides to meet yeah um so do you actually go in and do these investigations? I used to. I, I don't do residential anymore. Um, you know, we, my husband and I, we did that for a very long time. And because it's gotten so popular and cool to have, quote unquote, ghost hunters in your house. Right. Uh, you know, we were getting way too many 
people that that you know were just in it for the fun it wasn't because they were actually experiencing a problem oh really um yeah oh, oh yeah oh yeah so i guess we, when you don't were you charging no oh no, all never. the more reason for them to call because they're just all oh let's get drunk and call a ghost researcher to walk yeah. to our house right you know and, and you know and I've, i had some people that you know would hear what i would do and it's like their thing would be well i don't necessarily think i have anything paranormal in my house but i would love to know what history you could dig up on who used to live there and i have no problem with that because you know they're upfront and honest right sure sure and i love to research you know i just all the you know i don't charge anybody for all the research i do either it's just something that i love so much you know give give me a puzzle and let me see if i can figure it out for you um so we only do historical locations now, which is mainly why we got into it to start with, because that's what we wanted to do was the big historical locations, but nobody wanted people doing that on their property that they'd never heard of or didn't have any kind of reputation or references or, you know, because so many ghost hunters are going in and destroying property, literally burning it to the ground in cases in Louisiana. Um, you know, the, there was a group of people that got mad. They couldn't find any paranormal stuff. So they sat around in the house, decided to get high and ended up burning the entire 200 year old mansion down. Um, the, uh, park services have stopped letting people come in because they were doing things on the property they didn't like. So that's why we started doing residentials so we could gain a portfolio portfolio and, you know, give ourselves a name that that people knew oh you know shannon wants to come do this we know she's good we know she will keep anything confidential you know that type of thing so we went from residential to uh actually doing state parks here in georgia we've done several state parks because we've gotten called in yeah, a lot of the state parks here have been built on old southern plantation properties or places where there were indian massacres in the 1700s and you know there was activity going on and right. it got to the point to where guests at the park were actually calling you know the head dnr office and saying you know i got attacked by a ghost in your cabin what are you going to do about it what so, can you do about it <laughs> what are you gonna do about it what kind of <laughs> so you know the, the park started calling us in and we've done so who parks. are you gonna call is the question right? <laughs> exactly you know um so we we just kind of built it from there and then you know when once we got to the level that i wanted to be at as far as our reputation um i'm like you know we don't need the residential anymore now i'll, I'll take an odd one here and there if you know somebody calls me and say i've got this friend that really needs help this is what's going on in their house and then because I, I have a ritual i make the homeowner go through um you know i make them keep a journal of what's going on in the house you know and i make them take detailed notes to tell me and if they're actually willing to go through all of this right. then i will then i will help them yeah that seems fair so um has this question is more specifically for you but um if the answer is no i'm wondering if it's the case with anybody else have any of these researches ever yielded the results of solving a real world crime that wasn't solved prior? Not that I'm aware of, no. I, so I'm not gonna say it hasn't happened, but- Right, but there's no famous- to my knowledge. Right, right, right. Because it seems like, you know, digging in uh, cold cases, lots of changes in technology, uh, it seems like that day will come where where somebody is going to solve a crime that, yeah yeah I, I can see that happening um and and it would be great if it did um you know but it's one of these cases or things of you know i guess maybe the research that you do maybe you could find something that somebody else hadn't figured out or you could put something together um you know when when you go into someone's home and you're investigating you know you do get kind of what's the word um in their personal space you know mm -hmm. you're in all parts of the house um you know i've been in attics i've been in basements i've been in crawl spaces so you know who's to say that you know i couldn't go in a crawl space one day and find a dead body that had been there for uh, you know 
you know that that's not a historic what what i would say a historical dead body you know i know what you mean they wouldn't send you in the crawl space if they put it there right you know so you know it could happen and Mm -hmm. you know i would not be at all surprised to hear one day that it did but i don't know that it's happened now your interest you say it peaked uh with the book at the book fair and such but have you had any of your own experiences doing oh, this yeah. research? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent, you know, I am a skeptic first always because I'm always gonna look for the 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 normal before I look at the paranormal. Right. Um, you know, one of the examples I always use is um it's a personal one, is uh for years. It took us years to figure this out. When the ice maker would go off in our refrigerator, the whole house would shake and it would sound like, you know, somebody was beating on the walls. And when that happens at three o'clock in the morning and it wakes you up, right? Okay, what demons have descended on my house, right? Um, Turns out it was there in the line going to the septic tank. When we had the septic tank pump, that stopped. So. you know as we always try to teach people the first thing we look at is their plumbing right um, oh, yeah, know, that makes sense people don't realize when you've got you know fireplaces in different rooms of the house you know the down drafts will make doors shut um you know things like that so that's what you know we always go in and look at that stuff first but yes i have had many many experiences and places that we have been you know i've heard things i've been touched i've I have taken what I consider to be photographic evidence one time in my entire life. Out of the thousands of pictures I have taken, I consider I've done it once. Well, those are the two questions that are bouncing in my head. One is, what's the scariest thing that you've ever found yourself in? And the other is, what's the most compelling piece of evidence that you've ever come up with? Let's start with that one, because you say you've taken the one photograph um and Um, and i assume that's the most compelling piece of physical evidence of proof of the afterlife to you i mean i understand that that's you know it's the most compelling of something i can hand to somebody else because you can't validate or invalidate personal experiences right yes you know so putting all those aside when you're talking about actual something that you can show somebody or have somebody listen to um, you know, I've gotten a, a couple of EVPs, which to me cannot be disproved. And the photograph that, that I took in an old stagecoach in, um, it, it's actually a series of photographs where you can see something moving. And we spent months because we had permanent access to this place mm-hmm. trying to recreate that and make it happen again. Wow. And we never could. And, and there were four people in the room when it happened. So... You know, and I've had other people, you know, who are skeptics as well. They can't explain the photographs either. So to me, that's that's the one thing I always wanted to achieve that I did achieve. Um, scary moment, I don't scare. So that that's, you know, I, I could say one of the most interesting moments that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at one of the state parks, the one that I was talking about, um, and it, it was built on an old slave plantation. And we had been called in because a, a woman, a white woman, had reported being choked and held down in her bed and choked and then grabbed from behind and, and around her throat and choked when she was in the kitchen. Hmm. So we went down there <coughs> and, yeah, you know, I thought I was so smart. You know, we, we have digital cameras that we use. And anytime we would buy a digital camera, you know, we would always bring it home, set it up, tape us sleeping in the bedroom so we could see how it works, what affects it, you know, the weird things the cats do while you're sleeping, that kind of thing. Sure. So we we took the camera, we went to bed, we plugged it in, you, you knew exactly, you had the angle that we wanted, and it was on the bed that this was reported to have happened in, and my husband and I were sleeping in that bed. And I remember I woke up, it was like 6.13 in the morning. And I woke up because I'd felt something grab my foot. And it's kind of a, you know, did my husband kick me? Did, you know, I'm trying to figure out what happened. And, you know, his his legs are on the other side of the bed. And while I'm trying to figure this out, the 
comforter on top of the bed got yanked completely off the bed from the bottom and ended up on the floor. Well, we're the only ones in this room. And I'm jumping up and down and I'm so excited because I'm like, we've got the video camera going. We, we got this actually happening on camera, right? Mm-hmm. This happened at 6.13 and the camera cut off at like 6.02. Uh, <laughs> of and course. that happened both nights, two nights in a row in this place. That's what happened. The camera cut off before that happened. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've had interesting experiences, um, but I like I say, I don't scare mm-hmm. at all. You know, none of this is ever scary to me because it, it's more, I approach it as more of a, I'm there to help the dead person. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to help the family that's living in the house because if there is honestly a dead person in your house, that means they haven't crossed over. And that is what I want to do is get that spirit to move on. So you and don't think I, we have much to I fear. Help the dead person, I help the living person. I'm so sorry, you don't think I'm, that's all right. Um, so you don't think we have much to fear from ghosts or anything other than our own feelings about it. They're, exactly. they're not going to hurt us. In my opinion, no. No, there are hundreds of TV shows that will tell you differently. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other people that, you know, feel that they have been physically harmed uh, by dead people. And I'm, I'm not at all going to say that they're wrong. You know, there's people that have been reported pushed downstairs. There's people that's been reported held down in their beds. So whether it's physical or, or psychological torment, um i've never experienced that myself and most of the the dead people that i have run into i always say have you got children oh yeah okay um i always tell people it's like you know when you've got a toddler who's two years old and you try to go to the bathroom and you shut that door that toddler is on the other side of that door trying to do everything possible to get your attention yeah ain't that the truth and I liken that to dead people. It's like when you die, you keep the same personality you had when you were alive, except you turn into a two-year-old. And if you think there is someone in your vicinity that notices your presence, whether they can actually hear you, you know, if you try to talk to them or they just notice the things you're doing, you know, they're wanting help. And, you know, to me, that's the job of a paranormal investigator is to help that dead person go where they need to go. Right. And get the, the living space and, and leave the living people alone. You know, your your story about sleeping with your husband and the blanket coming off. Uh, I had this dream one night that I was running and uh, I was just running as fast as I could. And I slowly woke up to someone yelling, ow, ow, ow. And I realized that I was laying in bed on my side running and in the process of doing so, I was Your kicking my, wife. I was kicking my sleeping wife repeatedly, and she's all ow, ow, you know, in her, in her half sleep, you know. Um, when you, uh, that happen, you, you know, know yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got people that would take that experience and try to make it something it's not. Try oh, to yeah. turn it paranormal, or try to 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 you know, like your wife woke up let's say that she didn't actually wake up while you were doing that, Mm -hmm. but she woke up with bruises the next morning from where you kicked her. Right. Right. She Um, did. (laughs) So she's like, I wake up, I've got all these bruises. I have nowhere, you know, no knowledge of where that came from. Something demonic must've happened to me in my sleep. Right. Right. Um, Your husband, was he always into this or did you convert him or did you guys find each other through this? Well, no, he, he's, was into it as a teenager he kind of um where we live you know there there's always these places where kids go you know that are supposedly haunted or you know those places where you leave your car and it'll have handprints or it'll move or some haunted abandoned house that somebody got murdered in and 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 kids go to scare each other to do these things i would have yeah and, and, you know, he, he was not much of a believer, but he did want to, you know, his, his thing was he, he was always going to protect the girls, you know, <laughs> because, he, you know, he's been a ladies' man since he was born. Right. So, you know, <laughs> he, he was going to protect the girls. Well, he had an actual experience um, one of these times that scared the crap out of him. 
and made him more interested in it. So he already had a deep-seated interest in it by the time he and I met. And so it, it's just something we had in common. Um, well, I'm always curious like about how family members handle this sort of thing. Like, do your family's members think you guys are nuts? Well, it, it depends on which family member you're talking about. The religious I mean, ones probably do. It, um, I, I always laugh and say, you know, my mother is you know, always the first one to tell me, A, you know, if I'm talking to dead people, I'm talking to demons. But when I come back from an investigation, she was always the first one to, oh, what happened? What kind of evidence did right. you get? What did you right. find? Did you, you know, so our, I've, we've been very lucky, you know, his parents and my parents have, have supported us. You know, my, like I say, my mother, with me growing up, you know, did this with me every summer when, when I was looking for ghosts. So she, she knows is something I'm interested in. It's just, you know, you, you've always kind of got that battle, you know, the Bible says one thing, but you know, when your daughter's doing something else, right. You, you want to know both sides. So. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, well, we don't have too long until the end here. You know, what's, what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Is it the paranormal genealogist.com? Is that uh, the best place to send people? Actually, I, I don't do a whole lot with the website anymore. Um, looking me up on Facebook under Shannon Bradley Byers and sending me a message will be your best way. Okay. Um, I do have a paranormal genealogist Facebook page, so you can find me there as well. I, I don't do a whole lot on it anymore. Um, it, it's just there's so many of those pages that it, it got hard trying to keep it relevant with what I did. Right. So, you know, I, I'd rather have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. So I have no problem with them finding my personal Facebook page and sending me a message and saying, Hey, I'd like to know about this. Where can I find your books? You know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, just look me up under Shannon Bradley Byers on Facebook. And where can they find your books? Our best bet to look you up on Amazon. Amazon has it. Um, iTunes has it as an ebook. I, I have ebooks and hard copies on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and then uh, iTunes has it as a ebook there as well. All right. Well, you know, this has been a lot of fun. You know, um, I have had quite a few ghost researchers, paranormal researchers, and um, you know, you're the only one that I can say is so much in the nuts and bolts category. I, I really like uh, this genealogy oh, angle of going at it. I think it's a, I think it's super interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to Radio Wasteland with Shannon Bradley Byers. Uh, be sure to look her up on Facebook, Shannon Bradley Byers. Uh, check out her books on Amazon. And if you can't find any of those links, I bet you those links are on paranormalgenealogist.com. They are. All right. Thank you again. <laughs>